What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of ESPN's Basketball Podcast. And we're talking NBL today, which means I've got the crew back together. Steve Smith and Peter Hooley are alongside me. And fellas, look, let's be honest. No one wants to listen to us say hello to each other. So I'm going to skip that part and get straight to the weekend. And Oh, thank God. When, <laughs> when, and when the NBL released this schedule for the last weekend of the season, everyone knew what they were doing. Everyone knew what they were hoping for. But there is absolutely no way. And even as recently as two to three weeks ago, it looked like it was going to be a dud of a last weekend. The playoffs were going to be locked in. None of these games were going to mean anything. But this sequence of events, and I'm throwing to you, Steve, first as the elder statesman of this podcast and the NBL historian, because I've got no, uh, I've got nothing to back this claim up. But from Friday night with Perth and Illawarra, Saturday night with Tassie and Melbourne, Sunday with the, the Illawarra-Sydney game, which decided home court, and then the overtime ridiculousness that happened in Perth to send the Jack Jumpers into the playoffs. This has to be the best final weekend in league history. I honestly can't think of a, a more fun, insanely, you know, crazy ending to a, to an NBL season. I genuinely can't. I um, and there's a really fun stat. Um, I was looking through, combing through the NBL archives yesterday, <laughs> last night. It's a bit like the last scene in Indiana Jones back there. There's there's a lot of that, uh, that's lot, your lot brain. Of boxes and a lot of dust. But um, Tasmania have never missed, you know, the, the playoffs in their in their history. It's, <laughs> that's a stat that you cannot beat. That's true. Pete? It's arguably it's arguably more impressive than making the finals 35 years in a row. I agree. To have never missed, to never have never missed. missed in your franchise history. But I mean. What a weekend. You mentioned when the schedule was released. I looked at the last day and I circled. I was like, Sydney Illawarra, that's going to have some finals implications. And Phoenix and Perth, that'll have finals implications as well. Because I was thinking it was going to be one of those teams is going to miss out. And that's how I was going to come down to one of those games. That's what we wanted. Never in my life did I think that it would come down to having Tassie involved the way it did. Everything had to go right. Started on Friday and then Saturday. I'm not. That was probably my most least surprising result, just because I've I played with Dean. I know how Dean go with top spots sewed up. He was always going to not risk getting injuries to the stars. He was going to give more minutes to the young guys. That was always going to be the play. It was not going to be we're trying to intentionally lose this game. It was more look. We're just going to get through this game. I'm going to give the young guys some burn. Whatever happens, happens. And then Sunday, as you said, Kane, because Sunday was wild. And to start off with the New South Wales clash, I'm not sure what. In the first half, I was like, is, is Sydney just trying to get some rotations through here? Do they not really care what's happening? And then the second half, I was like, oh, you know, they definitely care. No Jalen Adams hurt, but it was just an entree to an epic main course. And I'm still not sure how it all happened. So let's go to Perth first before we move on to the two matchups. We'll break them down. We'll chat about them. So Perth not making the playoffs, obviously, is incredible. First time in my lifetime they haven't made the playoffs, which is just ridiculous. And we should acknowledge that. I mean, 35 straight years is absolutely absurd. And in the end, a lot of things have gone wrong for Perth. But it came down to one baseline, little mid-ranger from Bryce Cotton that you just thought, I thought it was going to go in. And it actually sucked that he was always going to be the guy to take the shot, by the way. But it sucked that he missed it because of everything that he's done. It would have been just another moment for him uh, if he had been able to knock this one down. Uh, I will say, though, uh, from a broader perspective, I think, and you mentioned the Saturday night game between Melbourne and Tasmania, to me at least, and I'm friends with a few Melbourne United fans who definitely feel this way. They probably wanted to play Perth if mm. in a perfect world. Now, look, they took the precautions, say whatever you want to say about Saturday night. It's also hard to replicate 
the energy that Tasmania was going to have for that game. Yeah. You say hard, yeah. maybe impossible. But Perth, without Vic Law, went right to overtime to the final shot. I don't think they would have fired a shot in the playoffs as good as Bryce is against this Melbourne team. So I think we've got the best possible matchup. But what do you point to? Or what comes to your mind first when you think about Perth and all the things that went wrong right across the season? Because remember, they were they were spectacular on the road to put themselves in a position where it looked like it was top two for them, guaranteed. Like, if you had said to me, like, they go home for the final nine games and you, you had told me they'd go three and six, like, that's insane. I, that, I did not see that coming. <laughs> No, well, we had the, when they were going home. We had the, everyone was saying, "Look, the top spot theirs." That's yeah. yep. locked that up. But it was it's the whole thing of going on the road. We saw it with the Hawks when they started to go on the road. You can't hide from the issues you have on the court. All the problems they get magnified. You spend more time watching film. You're in the hotel room. All of that, and you have no choice but to face them head on. Hawks turned things around, and Perth found a way to get through all those tough times together. When you're home, you're a bit more relaxed. You've got more time to yourself, which is always a good thing. But Having the complete contrast of being away for so long and then being home, it, clearly you fall into a bit of a, I guess, that lack of awareness of what's going on, being on top of everything. And they just look like they, down the stretch, even with Vic Law, they just look like they didn't have enough pieces firing, which... Hey, what do you put that down to? Like, in, like uh, obviously, Scott Morrison's come in for a lot of criticism. Like, it, it can't just be on him, though, right? I'm I'm the biggest anti seeing any or I hate seeing all that stuff on Scott Morrison. I really do. They, I yeah. think he's getting scapegoated out of all of it. Um, you can't pin it down to one thing at all. There's just no way that's possible. Um, some of his comments are very wild. Make no mistake about that. <laughs> he doesn't hold back. But there, there's no way you can look at them not making the finals and just say straight away it's all Scott Morrison. Uh, plenty of other things that went their way. But yeah, it was just I, in my opinion, it was just guys not the right pieces firing at the right time. Blanchfield was quiet. He was always going to struggle and find it harder to have an impact without Vic Law. Travers was quieter than we expected. So when yeah. they're not at full strength, they don't have all the pieces there. Again, I think their whole issue the whole season long was their center position. They didn't have the John Mooney type, the Nick K type to help take over a game, not necessarily getting the ball, but dominating the glass where no one else has to worry about that. They never had that. And they were always the same chasing their tail. It got messy when they got home. Uh, obviously, the John Brown situation didn't help. And it's interesting because if they were able to get that deal done, which they believed that prior to the deadline they would have been able to, that was their understanding, I do think it would have changed things. He was the type mm. of player that they wanted. He was the type of player they needed. They weren't able to get it done. But obviously, as we mentioned, Vic Law uh, went down. Interesting. I, I thought last night's press conference from Scott Morrison was one of the better ones he's had. He was kind of cool, calm, spoke about the situation, some of the challenges they've had. Uh, yeah, I, I, when it comes to the criticism, I think part of it, he's brought it on himself because of the way that he has responded in some of those press conferences. So I, I think that that's part of it, particularly through that obviously stressful time for everyone. And I think we should give credit to Michael Frazier. I thought he had a couple of good games to finish off the season would have been a difficult situation for him. But ultimately, I think Perth will learn some stuff, whether it's Scott Morrison now. If he, if he hangs around, he will have uh, a preseason. They'll be able to work the roster, figure out what they need, uh, where they went wrong uh, this season. He'll have a better understanding of the league. So, look, uh, put it this way. I, <laughs> I wouldn't be betting on Perth having a worse season next year than they did this year, particularly the way it finished. I think they'll be right back up there. 
I did enjoy him saying though that regardless of uh, what happens, he'll still be getting paid to coach. The, <laughs> to coach. The well, I kind of wish he said it like that. The way that it came up and said it, yeah. the worst part was a lot of the the actual quote being shown compared to the way he said. It. I mean, he still said yeah, it. I know. Still a wild thing to say, but in the on end, paper, on paper, it didn't look good. But yes, watch the vision; it probably yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit better. And, but the bottom line, also, he's spot on. So if you can, no, say he's it, right. He's hundred so, percent right. Fair he was being scapegoated a lot of it, and then again, it's a lot easier. That's why I never want to be a coach. Well, not yet, anyway, because if your team doesn't win, it's always going to fall back on you. It's never nice. Okay, Pete. First of all, we know if they come with the money, you will be coaching quick smart. So don't, so don't even start with that. But let's get to Melbourne Tassie then. So the reason why I believe, and look, everyone's given Tassie all the credit. So they've got all the credit they need. We don't need to continue saying that in my opinion. They've got it. They've made the playoffs. It's incredible. But now you're in there. And can they can they be competitive? Can they, can they make this a series against Melbourne? And the reason why I think that Melbourne would prefer to play Perth, Perth's been sketchy defensively all season long, but... Tasmania has consistently been the most difficult team to play all season long. And that's why I think this is going to go three games because the defense of the Tasmania Jack Jumpers, you can rely on night in, night out. But why have they won games in the back end of the season? Because they've got a bunch of streaky shooters that will, if they have a hot night from three, you know you can rely on the defense. So if they do have a night, one out of the first two games where they start knocking down some threes, they're going to be right in the game. Uh, to the end, Steve. I don't know if you're shaking your head because you agree with me, or you think I'm stupid. How how do you how are you looking at this series straight up? I certainly wouldn't be so undiplomatic as to call you stupid, but I definitely disagree because I think I think this will get to them a little. I think they've they've invested, pushed all their chips in the table to make the playoffs. Yeah, they sh- they do shoot a bunch of threes. They shoot more threes than anyone else in the league. But this is a Melbourne team that has been there and done that so many times and they don't turn the ball over, and they shoot the three at a better clip. So I can see those streaky shooters. I can see those shots not falling in, say, in game two, and they're going to get swept. Yeah, I'm right on the fence for this, for both reasons, exactly. I think Melbourne has that playoff experience. Dean Vickerman, he knows what it's going to take. He's going to have them ready uh, for game one. But on the other hand, Jack, they're a group of just junkyard dogs who play together, backs against the wall, and they're always going to be up for the fight. Now... I take absolutely nothing away from like that game, the last game they played. I know it was a block. Whatever happened, happened. Melbourne United were going through the motion. So I, I don't take much out of that. But they beat them on the home floor this season already. And that was a game where they kind of just broke out of – McIntosh broke out of his little funk. Then he started playing well. He is playing well now. The thing that really will help them is that most likely we've seen in finals, playoffs, the whistle goes away a little bit. You can be a bit more physical – so if they get to play like that with their defense, that's when things will get a little interesting, I believe. So I still think Melbourne United will get the job done. They could come in and really flex a muscle because they could say, look, this is what you wanted. You've been wanting this matchup against us. You think you just beat us and we're going to turn it on. Uh, but I'm really excited. I, I really am glad that we do have that matchup. I think it would have been a real quick sweep of Perth with the way they were going without those without Vic Law. So it's going to be very enticing, but it's, it's going to be fireworks. And you're not going to get a ticket down in Tassie. There is not a chance that people are sleeping out for tickets already, probably. Well, I think they would be. And in fact, they probably haven't slept. And we're recording this Monday afternoon. So I assume public holiday, uh, the party's still going on uh, down in Tassie, I I would guess. Uh, The the reason why Tasmania can, can stay in this game. So Melbourne, I do think if you get Melbourne in the half court, you give yourself... A little bit of a chance now jla will see uh tasmania not the biggest team 
Are they going to get the ball to him? Is he going to be able to physically overwhelm them? But Tassie will get back on defense. They will slow down that, that transition game, which I think puts them in a good spot. And Josh Adams is the guy. And it, it, it's interesting for Tassie because if you think about their two, the two guys that have the ball in their hands the most, Josh Adams, Josh Majette, and both of them take some absolutely outrageous shots. Majette, no mm. one takes deeper threes in the league than Majette. Sometimes they're not close. Uh, a lot of times he starts <laughs> knocking them down. But Tasmania are 10 and 3 this year when Josh Adams scores at least 19 points. Uh, that's pretty good because, that, again, defensively, they'll give themselves a chance. Uh, they just need this man to start knocking down some of those threes. I, I Look, if you're Melbourne, clearly they're going to be the wild favorites in this series, and they should be because, again, we talk about the defensive Tassie, but they are the best defensive team in the league, and they have been since day one. They didn't have two of their best defenders in the lineup the other night. Jack White, Daly had a... Mm. a a tooth issue, I believe, went to the dentist. Then you always got to look after your teeth. So we we absolutely respect that. We had he, he had three three had three wisdom teeth out. It's, it's not just one. So three. I mean, at his age, it's uh, the timing of it is a bit. But I've heard it was three. I've still got to get three out. So I, are we going to give him a little break there or not? Absolutely. No, I'm serious. I mean, this man wears a mouth guard, as we all know. He looks after his teeth. I think we, we should we should be applauding him for doing so. This sounds. This sounds this like some dental chat. This, this sounds like a little bit of mayonnaise coming here from Mr. Pittman. No, I'm actually being dead serious, Steve. So, Steve. It's okay, Steve. So, you you seem less confident. Uh, you pointed to experience. I just I just think the playoff experience stuff will just will come into play. I just you, I've seen it. You, you see it so many times where a team, a young you know, a new team or a young team, they they they're so jacked up about making the playoffs and then. And, and as Pete said, the, the whistle goes away. And, and we'll talk about that for Sydney and Illawarra too because that's going to be a huge factor in that series as well. But the whistle goes away and, and that, that works for Melbourne as much as it works for Tassie because there's all the, they've got all the tricks. that They've been there before. I just I can honestly see them breaking open. Like I, I assume that they'll win game one at home and then I can see them breaking game two open before halftime and, and that'll be it. Okay, so what would you say... If I said that I think it's going three games, but Tassie's winning the first one. Oh. Oh, that's spicy. Imagine, could you imagine Tasmania? So we've got Saturday night, hoops <laughs> down in Hobart. They've got a 1-0 series lead. <laughs> On the reigning champs. I think the arena might blow up. I actually think if they're gonna if it's gonna go three games, I think they're more of a chance to get game one, to be honest, than game two. I think if they lose game one and it's convincing to United, they go down there and they've always shown backs against the wall, they'll fight, but I think there might be just too much on the line. And as Steve said, they might just crumble a little bit because they are happy, obviously yeah. happy to be there. But um, I think they've got more of a chance to win game one than if they go down in that and have to go back and defend home court. Everything has to go right for them and everything has to go wrong for United for that to happen. Like, how often do we see that, though? Like, I just I, I just can't see it. Well, I have said, we have said that. And as Kay mentioned, we keep talking about defense. They hit 22 threes in a game this year. So mm-hmm. if they happen to have one of those nights where some of those threes were ridiculous. So if they have one of those nights, then Melbourne will have something to think about. But the depth of Melbourne in terms of you've got Shaley coming off the bench, we yeah. know... You know, Bubba is going around. Probably the most positive sign of getting spanked the other night is that Caleb Agata got a little bit of confidence and he's been down in form for a couple of weeks since Bubba came in. So, look, it's going to be a very spicy uh, playoff series and I'm sure there might be a little little back and forth because it's it's what... If Melbourne United are there, they're thinking, look, this is what you wanted. Like, you wanted this. And then if Tassie 
it's even harder. They're like, well, not that you didn't want to win the game, but you wanted us. This is what happened. You could have put us away. You could have put us home by just winning that game. So we're here. You want us? We're here. Yeah. Steve, I mentioned we weren't going to talk about awards before we started, but we have got two coaches that are in the finalists for coach of the year. Yeah. Uh, who's, who's winning it? Who's winning coach of the year? Yeah. Scott Rock. The, the job he's done is remarkable. I just like, and that's nothing against, you know, Vickerman or, or even Chase Buford for that matter. Um, what Scott Roth and by being like their beating heart, like he's not just, you know, their coach, they get all their energy from him. And what he's been able to do is just phenomenal. I, I, I can't stress that enough. So we caught up with Scott Roth after the game on Saturday night. And as he is, he was emotional, which is why I think everyone buys in. And he said it himself, look, I cry in front of these guys all the time, which, which, is, which is so awesome, by the way. Uh, but the other thing he said is that uh, with Sunday night's game, he was like, I'm not actually that worried. You know, we've done everything that, that I wanted us to do. So I'm not that worried if we win or lose, which again, I think that he's going to have this team feeling pretty calm. I don't think that they're really going to care about the moment because they're playing extra games that they didn't think that they were going to play. I thought if they were going to have a moment where it got too much for them, it was going to be Saturday night against Melbourne. And let's be honest, late in the first half of that game, it was like 29 to 27. So I do think that they were feeling a little bit tight there and then they were able to overcome it. Obviously, uh, we know that they won that game. But yeah, I think Scott Roth might win it. Uh, shout out to my guy, Chase Buford, though. Pretty unlucky when you win 14 out of 15 games and you can't win coach of the year. He's had a pretty incredible <laughs> first season in the league as well. It's tough. It really is. Look, for those, any one of those three uh, runaway winners in a normal season, let's be honest. I mean, you got 20 wins and Dean Vickerman, Chase Buford doing what he does and Scott Roth. But this is what the Lindsay Gaze trophy is all about. So, like, if Scott Roth doesn't win it, then I've got to have, a, I've still got to have a question about it because this is, if you didn't pick them bottom top two, if not bottom in preseason polls, you are lying. Yeah. And if you're if you're saying that you're not, you're lying about lying. There's just no way anybody had them higher than eighth. Yeah. All right. Um, there's one other thing we need to talk about with Coach of the Year, and it's a drum that I've beaten a bit. But once again, Dan Shamir and the job he's done over the last few seasons. Like Nick Trulson, the, the head of United, tweeted the other day that, you know, congrats to the Breakers and, and Dan Shamir because what they've done over – and I, which I thought was a really classy move. But it's true. Like, what he's done and what they've done with that team and the circumstances they've been in, that will in, – in 10 years' time, everyone will have forgotten what he did. But it was such a good coaching job to keep that group together over, you know, just not being at home for so long. Remarkable. So I floated this idea last night. I just wanted on as many platforms as possible. So I'm going to do it here as well because <laughs> I'm sure that you, you guys didn't hear it. So everyone's talking about home games. Should they play mm. 19 home games? Should they play 23 home games? Maybe you could do that. That would make sense to me. I don't think any team would actually complain about that. I think they'd all sit back and say that's, that's totally fair enough. But for me, the first home game is a stadium game. And I, I don't care if you're talking like a, put put a court on a rugby field on the rugby stadium, put a court in the cricket stadium, the cake tin, whatever you want to do, and get thirty thousand fans because they will come. There's no doubt that they will come to watch this game. They haven't seen their team for, team for two years. The first home game, thirty thousand fans, open air. I know open air people don't really love it, and we understand why. Uh, but this would be. Feeling- this would be an incredible, incredible sight. Do it like WrestleMania. You can put a little roof over the over the uh, over the court there, and it'll be sensational. Thirty thousand oh, fans at the basketball. We'll make it a cage match then. 
Well, yeah, I, no, I, would, I would like to see something like that. They, they'll get rewarded somehow. They have to, but I, yeah. I, I like that, Steve. Yeah. But the shout out to Dan Shamir, just the personnel, the, the connections, the, the culture that he still managed to maintain. You could see it. But you look at one example from this year is Usman Jeng. I mean, he started looking like a fish out of water in the NBL, and now he's, he's risen up the uh, draft stocks. He got more confident and doing all that away from a normal process of a season as a pro. So big shout out to everybody from the Breakers. Yeah, a bit like me. Started off this podcast terrifically and just trying to just trying to find my feet and ease my way into it. I think the series that everyone's looking forward to, and no disrespect to Melbourne, Tasmania, but the series everyone wants to see that could potentially have been a grand final, Sydney and Illawarra. And you look at the two games that we've just seen in the last two weeks. So this is the interesting thing when we look at the schedule. If we do get projecting forward, if we get a Melbourne and Sydney grand final, we haven't seen those two teams play since December. But mm. one of, on the flip side, one of the benefits of the weird schedule that we had, we saw Sydney and Illawarra twice in the last two weeks. One game went to overtime. Last night, Ian Clark hits the game winner from the corner, but uh, Kevin Durant's style foot on the line doesn't count, and uh, Illawarra win this game. And I was looking at Chase Buford and looking at Brian Gorge, and then they went up to each other, and they had a big smile on their face, and you could tell they were just like, we've just played two of the games of the season. Maybe, yes, they wasn't game of the season, but certainly an enthralling finish. These two last possession games, and now we're going to do it in best of three. But the Hawks got home court. So let's start there. Does that mean anything? Because remember, the Kings right now are riding a 10-game road winning streak, which, uh, Steve, again, I'm going to lean on you. I believe the 1985 Canberra Cannons. Is that, is that right? I'm going, take, I'm going to take your word for that because I was like nine years old then. So, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm going to assume so. You, um, just, gave away, you is... just gave away your age, by the way. That is <laughs> I think everyone, everyone knows that I, I have to be carbon dated these days to figure out <laughs> the age. So that's fine. Um, this is going to be a war. I, I just, you, you're probably right in that home court probably doesn't matter as much. Um, yeah. Both teams are just, you know, loaded up and both teams are playing extremely at, at an extremely high level. So this is going to be an absolute war. And I honestly can't wait for this. I, I, I'm probably looking forward to this series more than I am the United Tasmania mm-hmm. one. There'll be some fireworks in this one. There'll be, yep. there's been a little chat. Yep. I mean, the first game they had this season, there was a little bit of back and forth, Angus Glover, Sam Froling, but there will be <laughs> some fireworks. And I, home court in terms of how well Sydney play away doesn't matter, but there was 13,000 screaming fans at Kudos Bank Arena on the weekend. Both places are going to be packed. And I tell you what, I know it's small in the Wynn Entertainment Centre. Illawarra fans are crazy. So that place is going to be so loud. They are going to go bonkers. It is a perfect setup. You're the biggest rivals just down the road. Both I, This one will go three games. I envision this yep. one going yep. three games. Yep. I think everybody wants it to go three games, multiple overtimes. Let's have it all. Um, it's going to be exciting. This one is going to be a lot of fun. Big plays. Two teams that love scoring the ball. No one. I mean, the other, the other series, full defense. If you're a defensive purist, Lock into United versus Tassie. If you never played a lick of defense in your life, then you are going to love every minute. I'm not saying they don't, but just the offensive type yeah. power on Sydney and Illawarra. It's going to be fun. Who's your pick, Pete? I still think Sydney. I mean, Illawarra, they, they, when they're up and about, they play well. I mean, you can see that the, Tyler Harvey's playing well at the right time. Um, yeah. If Jalen Adams comes back, the way he can control the game, Xavier Cooks turned that game in the second half. That man is a massive X factor, no pun intended. So I, I think Sydney are going to get the job done. I'd probably stick with the Kings, I think. But I think it's going to go three games as well. 
no Jalen Adams yesterday in this game, as we're recording this yesterday, I should say. And he's been ill and it's kind of been a scary week, I feel like, for the Sydney Kings because Jarrell Martin, we know uh, he was in the protocols. Jalen Adams then fell sick. Uh, obviously, they've said stay the heck away from us because the last thing we need is five players falling sick. You know, mm. Whether it's COVID-related, then even if you're feeling fine, you're forced into seven days away from the team. So, uh, look, kind of a scary few moments there. Hopefully, Jalen is fine and he's able to play in this game one on Friday here. But also, Drell Martin, I mentioned, he obviously, he was in the protocols. He didn't play big minutes in this game yesterday as well. So, I think the last time, the overtime game we saw with these two teams with uh, DJ Fasiovic, I think it was the perfect example of why Sydney are going to be incredibly difficult to beat because... The Hawks wanted to slow down Jalen Adams. So they were throwing two men at him every single time. And the one thing we should say about Jalen Adams, he will pass the ball. He actually led the league in assists per game. So he doesn't really care. If you want to double team him, he's going to make the easy pass. And then they were the guy they were helping off was Vasiljevic. And he's like, okay, you want to just leave me open? I'm just going to knock down 17 threes, score 50 points, and we'll probably win this game. So I think the firepower for the Kings is going to be a little bit too much. And the Kings actually have been the second best defensive team um, by defensive rating. So... They don't often they don't crash the offensive glass a lot, despite the fact Xavier Cooks obviously is an excellent rebounder. So I think they will not worry about that too much. Make sure they stop the Hawks because they are absolutely deadly in transition, particularly with a guy like Justinian Jessup, who just sprints to the wings every single time and will knock it down. So I think that will be the focus. But uh, these these two teams are awesome. But I've got Sydney just. I feel like I'm the contrarian today because I think I've, I've got the Hawks in three. I'm, and, oh, um, you're a, a gorge man. We know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I am, look, to, to be fair. But I, I thought Pete's, um, you know, remark about like, okay, it, it's probably not going to be a, a defensive grind and it probably won't, but it's really interesting that two out of the three finalists for defensive player of the year are, are from, you know, Sydney mm. with Xavier Cooks and, and Illawarra with Antonius Cleveland. Like we've got two lockdown defenders in this series and yet somehow it, it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be it, it, this. I mean, both series kind of goes to the level of if we get back to the normal next year with no COVID interruptions. Yeah. Five game semi final series for certain matchups is what some people would want. I think three is good for this year. I mean, we know that we had the delayed start, but just yeah. thinking of potential five more games of these guys going at it, it's been, it'll be fun to watch. I'm sure they'll get tired, but it would be fun <laughs> to watch. Well, there's, but there's been a big difference, let's be honest, the last few weeks. If you go from watching, you know, one particular game and then, you know, the game that follows, you say, okay, there is towards the back end of the season with different players out, a big, big difference between the top and the teams that are lower down the, the standings. And we've seen some incredible games. So the question I've got, Pete, Tyler Harvey last time they played or a couple of games ago where he had the 35 points, uh, he has had an up and down season. He hasn't been as efficient as what he was uh, last year. Uh, but in that game, it was just floater central. The The lane was wide open for him. I think if you're playing Tyler Harvey, he's another guy who will take tough shots. He'll take step back threes. I think you're going to make this man knock down a step back three. Don't let him get into a rhythm with those floaters. He hit six, six or seven floaters in the first half of that game. And by that point, it was too late. So how do you defend Tyler Harvey? Well, yeah, exactly. What is what is the game plan? What do you live with? Um, right now, he's shooting a lot of threes. He took 16 threes out west against <laughs> Perth. Six of them, but... He's starting to fire at the right time. So I think you yes, do have to yes. put a lot of focus. But the first three minutes of each game is going to be crucial if you're the Kings. Now, what, first, I think more importantly is you can't let Justin and Jessup get an open look in the first three minutes. If he misses his first couple of shots, 
He can go cold and he can disappear from the game. If he hits his first couple, then everything turns into a layup. Doesn't matter where it is, deep three or whatever, that man is wetting that shot. So in terms of Tyler Harvey, I think it's all, yeah, you want him to take long contested too. So, I mean, you got to try and force him to put the ball on the floor, but then not let him get to where he's comfortable, which unfortunately is anywhere inside the three-point line. So if you don't have your body in line, he's just going to stop and you don't expect someone to shoot a floater from a step inside the three. And he's going to do it. And if you're not ready for it, you're going to foul him or he's going to knock it down. So he's firing at the right time. If you're a Hawks fan, you're happy with what you've seen after what has been a tough season for him. And I think if he's doing that as well, it opens it up for so many other players that are around him. Like it just, it makes it hard for them to be able to cover the other four players because, and as, as we've talked about, they're so high powered at, at that end. If if he's making shots like that, it just becomes a nightmare to, to be able to stop everyone else then. All right, so Steve's got the Hawks in three. Peter and myself have the Kings in three, which I guess means that we uh, we think Melbourne, Sydney. Melbourne, Sydney is the majority rules grand final here on this podcast. But we'll see. And let's be honest. I, I Look, I, I think Melbourne is the heavy favourites in that series. But to be fair, all season long, I've been saying, I don't think Tassie can make the playoffs. They're, they're an awesome team. They play excellent, consistent basketball, but I don't think they'll make it. They've proved us wrong all year. So who knows uh, what they could do. But I think Melbourne... Is obviously the heavy favourites. And then I'll take any of the other two. I don't care. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Whichever team yeah. goes through from this yeah. Sydney Illawarra series, it's going to be an awesome grand final. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. But quick MVP selection, Steve. And keeping in mind, some people may listen to this after the award's been given. So you could sound very silly, but who's going to get it? Uh, it's Jalen Adams for me. Just has been remarkable. Like just... Got off to a bit of a slow start and then just found his feet and has been dynamite since then. I, I don't see how it can be anyone else. Well, it's come down to him and Bryce. Uh, I think yep. if it does go to Bryce, I, I think it's a worthy winner, but I still think it's Jalen Adams for me as well. Missed seven games. Yes, is a lot of the season, but the Kings struggled without him. Kings are awful. I mean, this is the start of the season. They were really bad. And then he came along, took over. And yes, Bryce played all the games, but they struggled when they went home. Bryce had some unusually quiet games. So maybe we can just try and say, look, he missed games. Bryce was a little quiet. They lost games, definitely. So let's just cancel that out and throw the ball up. And I think Jalen will probably get the nod. Who's your pick, Kane? Yeah, Gosh. I think uh, my pick hasn't changed since the preseason, since August. So, so, <laughs> listen to him. Uh, well, I'm just saying, some people pick Jalen Adams to win MVP preseason, and uh, and maybe it'll happen. We'll see on Wednesday. By the way, if Bryce just, wins it, obviously. Just quick question, quick question without notice, Kane. Who did you pick for MVP last year? Uh, last year, I picked a guy that, uh, on the basis of his excellent NBL season, got an NBA contract, played some great basketball for the Indiana Pacers, <laughs> Kiefer Sykes. And uh, he, and by the way, he was also injured, so he probably would have won it. So I think we can all <laughs> <laughs> so you know sometimes you get them right sometimes you get them wrong i also had southeast melbourne in the grand final this year so hey what, that's, what can we that's do? a topic for another podcast but we, we need to talk about the phoenix at some point i had, I had the breakers on that on the same note so. <laughs> <laughs> all right now that we've disgraced ourselves we'll leave it there we are going to have multiple podcasts through the postseason though uh we know that the semi-final series they're going to rattle through these in about a week We'll have a bit of a break before the grand final. We'll be able to break it down. But make sure you go to ESPN.com.au for all the news and all the stories from uh, us three and many others. And uh, for Steve, Pete, myself, catch you guys next time.